0: Our Gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor, In case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you will start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because you, they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I need to acknowledge one more time Pam, Pam, our new Stephen Ministry co-leader, uh, and her family who has come all the way from Colorado? No? Well, that just, that just. I'm confused. It comes with age. We're glad you're here, though. But one family member is not, whom I personally invited as pastor of this congregation, another member of the family named Gus. Gus is their English bulldog. I love Gus, he is so funny to look at, he's a hoot. I wanted him to come and be part of the commissioning. Next time bring Gus, okay. Do any of you remember the lessons you receive from your parents or maybe another elder, you know about proper dinner table manners, protocols, that sort of thing, how to hold the knife, fork and all? You remember that? I do too, I got quite a few lessons as a young lad and my brother as well. There were two very embarrassing episodes where I was corrected um, in regard to table manners. They were very embarrassing. Both occasions I wanted to just crawl under the dinner table. But they were good lessons brought on by my lack of good form. The first happened... When I was visiting an aunt and uncle who had the family over, my mom and dad, my brother and I, for a Sunday afternoon dinner, a rather formal dinner at their house in Southeast D.C., little neighborhood called Anacostia. My uncle worked for the IRS, and I was always threatened that my Uncle Gene would call not IRS people but FBI people if I misbehaved, and they would come and throw me in federal prison. my aunt was a, 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 just a lovely Southern belle. She had this wonderful North Carolina accent, and she also worked for, quote, Uncle Sam. She was a psychiatric nurse at the local federal mental hospital in Anacostia. And I was also threatened that if I misbehave, my aunt would take me and incarcerate me in a little padded cell at St. Elizabeth's. Well, anyway, we were there at their house, and uh, it started off well, The the first course was served, and it was soup, and I thought I was doing okay. I definitely was not slurping the soup off the spoon, out of the spoon, but my aunt saw something that was not right. So she called a timeout and proceeded to show me the proper way to enjoy my soup. So with a little motion, with a spoon in her hand, she recited this little rhyme. As a ship plies the sea, thy spoon sails away from thee. With a North Carolina accent, and that repeated itself a number of times. So now I'm going to recite that rhyme one more time, and I want to see the proper motion, people. Come on. As a ship plies the sea, thy spoon sails away from thee, then comes back to the harbor, unloads its cargo. <laughs> and does it one more? Th- OK. Now, the most important part is as the spoon nears the coast, that is, the back rim of the bowl ever so gently the spoon is to contact that rim. No clanking, no clinking allowed. Has to be absolutely silent to get that little glob that's on the bottom of the spoon about to fall on Aunt Lena's linen tablecloth. Got it? Because I'm going to be watching you at our next Ash Wednesday Soup Supper. And I'm going to be looking for the proper motion. Yeah. The second episode was so humiliating, I will not go into the details, but involved what young boys typically do and laugh about. And it just went very, very badly. I will just say that uh, my brother and I were put on double secret probation. And we were denied dessert for a month. Figure it out. Okay. (laughs) If you were in worship a few weeks ago, you heard me say that many of these lessons, (sighs) readings, stories, parables, sayings by Jesus in Luke chapters 12 through 19 are a kind of commentary, commentary by Jesus on current events, especially those events transpiring in the little Roman province of Judea, events that were leading the Jewish people closer and closer and closer to bloodshed and war with Rome. And that holds for this story as well about proper protocol as a guest at the dinner of a neighbor, friend, patron. If you want to just keep with a a literal wooden reading, have at it. Just think it's about humility table manners, so on and so forth. But there is something, I assure you, something more on the table. On the table. And I'm going to talk about that something more. But before that, let's look one more time at the opening verse. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. This verse is important because it tells us the Pharisees were watching Jesus, as I will be watching you at our next Ash Wednesday Soup Supper. It also tells us the parties involved. Jesus is going to the home of a leader of the Pharisees and The other Pharisees in attendance were watching, watching, watching. Uh, So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the Pharisees and their worldview and their agenda, and maybe I should begin with one that's well-known. I call it the Lutheran perspective. Um, This perspective says, in short, that the Pharisees were self-righteous hypocrites They were trying by their hyper-righteousness to earn their way into heaven. By keeping the law of Moses down to the finest little detail, they were confident that they eventually would be granted a place at God's table in God's eternal kingdom. In short, they were all about works versus grace legalists in the extreme, unlike Christians who understood they were sinners and knew that only God's grace and mercy would give them eternal life. So there you have it, the Lutheran perspective, a theological point I first encountered in Sunday school, then later in sermons, And it was pounded, 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 pounded into my head at a Lutheran seminary. Works versus grace. We believe in grace. The Pharisees believed in works. This is utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. So I'm going to help all of us pull our heads out of the Lutheran sand. Theological sand, that is and share with you an important discovery. A discovery made a little over a half a century ago, out in the Judean wilderness. A discovery that brought to light a whole treasure of Jewish texts, ancient texts. The texts were composed and written by a group of Jews who were even more conservative than the Pharisees. They were so conservative, in fact, that they withdrew from the pollution of everyday life in Jerusalem and went out there to live alone. Their diet was similar to something a vegetarian might take on. They sold all of their property because money was tainted, impure. They even practiced celibacy because that was a distraction from serving God, married life that is. This group of ultra-conservative Jews called themselves the Essenes and they wrote down many wonderful things. And if you're curious, you can read about them. That is what they wrote, how they viewed their world and themselves in that collection of literature called the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls. So I'm gonna share with you A passage, a short one, that's found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I want you to listen to this. For you, O God, you know the inclination of your servant, that I have not relied upon the works of my hands to raise up my heart. I have no fleshly refuge your servant has no righteous deeds to deliver him from the pit of no forgiveness. But I lean on the abundance of your mercies and hope for the greatness of your grace that you will bring salvation to flower. This writer was saying quite simply, dear Lord, there is nothing I can do no outward act of righteousness I can do to merit your love and your mercy. Salvation comes, this writer says, only through God's mercy and grace. End of story. But if you insist on still chewing on that old Lutheran bone of works versus grace, and you're thinking right now, hey, Easton, they may have talked about God's grace and mercy, but I'm pretty sure they thought their righteous deeds were their own doing. Aren't you? Sure you are. Well, let me share with you another little jewel from the Dead Sea Scrolls. A writer who could write about his sinfulness and lack of righteousness and trust in God's mercy and grace would also say, and even the good things that I do are not my own, but God's spirit empowers me to make my way along the path of life and not the path of death. They were saying the same things we say, we Protestant Christians, so, no, they were not self righteous hypocrites banking on their works. It's a fiction. Well, what were the Pharisees saying and doing other than putting their trust in God's mercy and in God's grace? Well, Unlike last time, I'm not going to give you an historical survey because we would be here a long while. I'm just going to share with you a little brief portrait sketch of the Pharisees, their worldview, their agenda. And I'm going to rely upon not my own research, but I'm going to fall back on the great work done by Bishop N.T. Wright. Especially some things he, he brings out in his great book, And you may want to put this on your Christmas list. Paul and the Faithfulness of God. It's a big book. You'll enjoy it. But anyway, he indicates clearly. He knows this from reading not just the New Testament, but Jewish writings from the period, that the Pharisees were conservatives. They cherished the Jewish ancestral traditions, especially their scriptures, And among the scriptures, high place was given to the first five books of the Old Testament known to them as the law, the Torah. Today we would call them hardliners. They believed in old time religion, Old Testament religion. They emphasized certainly the keeping of the law. Not just outwardly, but with all of one's heart and soul because that's what scripture itself required and stated would be a requirement for the great coming renewal that the people would share in thanks to their god and the renewal too of all of creation scripture required it and scripture also said that keeping the torah keeping the torah is just an appropriate and faithful response to God's own faithfulness. And I could go on, but here's a very insightful summary by Bishop Wright, and I want you to listen carefully because I'm gonna read for you his little summary of the Pharisaic worldview and agenda. Listen carefully, especially for the things that he repeats. The Pharisaic worldview was about the whole business of being human, of being Jewish human, of living in a Jewish community, of living in a threatened Jewish community, of living with wisdom, integrity, and hope in a threatened Jewish community, of living with zeal for Torah and covenant, and above all, Israel's faithful God within a threatened Jewish community. Did you hear the repetition? They're pursuing Torah because they feel Threatened, in a threatened Jewish community, in a threatened Jewish community, in a threatened Jewish community. These Pharisees saw all around them that their way of life was being destroyed. Due mostly to outsiders, but even within there was a corruption and people were giving up that good old, old way of life. They felt threatened. They felt they were losing their identity as the people of God. The Jewish people were turning to other things in other aspects of living that were quite enticing. So this made the Pharisees quite nervous. Well, what do you do when you feel threatened by an enemy out there? Well, you make sure that God knows you're not one of the enemies of his people. Bishop Wright points this out. This little move, it's more psychological than it is theological, I call the Okie from Muskogee Syndrome. Do you remember that song? We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take trips on LSD. We don't burn no draft cards down on Main Street. We like living right and being free. I'm proud to be an Okie from Skokie, a place where even squares can have a ball. We still wave old glory down at the courthouse, and white lightning's still the biggest thrill of all. And on and on it goes. Take note of this, some of you. Leather boots. Leather boots are still in style for manly footwear. Beads and Roman sandals won't be seen. Football's still the roughest thing on campus, and kids here still respect the college dean. When you feel threatened, what do you do? You make sure you haven't mixed up your allegiance, and cross over to what threatens you. So you wave, all glory, you don't wear your hair long. The Pharisees were all about maintaining a proper Jewish identity, theologically, ethnically, culturally, in the face of a severe threat. This has happened over and over again in human history. And then once you are sure that you are not one of the enemy, then you move to the next step where you become absolutely confident that your enemies, those that threaten you, are also God's enemies. The Pharisees did that, and they were happy to join arms with the rebels in Jesus' day and after Jesus' day. They actually took up arms against their Roman overlords. So, I hope this helps you. It's easy for any of us to become a Pharisee. Forget the works-righteous stuff. We're talking about a worldview. A worldview in a day and a time when we feel pressured and threatened, well the Pharisees were confident that God was going to come to their aid and and destroy everyone and everything that wasn 't from Muskogee, Oklahoma. God would come and wipe away every Pork-eating Gentile, every impure Gentile, every sex-crazed Gentile, every greedy Gentile, because that's what Gentiles were. And God would just do away with them. Now here's the most important point of this sermon. And no, it's not the spoon dealie. Okay, you can forget about that. The Pharisees and fellow Jews were able to travel together into this cul-de-sac of absolute hatred, racism, cry for vengeance, rabid nationalism, and all that it took them to move into this unhappy and very dark place was that they engaged in a selective reading of scripture. Oh, sure, they cherished the Torah. They loved the story of the call of Abraham, but forgot the part that Abraham himself was first a Gentile. They love the story of Joseph, wiser than the Egyptians. They love the story of God delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. They love stories of being given the law at Sinai and wandering with God through the wilderness. They love the stories of conquest when God brought them home to the promised land and they took it. They love the story of David and his exploits, especially as he destroyed the lousy rotten Philistines They loved all of this stuff. But they left out too much of the other stuff. The fact that God was the creator of just the Jews. No, Genesis 1 begins telling how God created all humankind. They forgot the little notice in the story about Abraham that Abraham was gonna be blessed not just so the Jews could enjoy a wonderful life but that through Abraham the nations and Gentiles too could be blessed. They forgot about the part that Israel, part of her vocation was to be a light and a beacon to the nations to bring them home, to call them home to God where they could come to love and serve God, as well as the Jews. They neglected all of this other stuff. So dear people, in this day and age when we feel that we are so threatened, go home to scriptures, but read all of it, all of it, all of it. Not your favorite parts, Not the part about Jesus loving you or a letter or two from Paul or those wonderful Easter stories or the book of Revelation. Read the whole thing. Because it's only by reading the whole thing that we can discover, discover how amazing God's righteousness is. Jesus said... Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not yours. His. It's amazing. And you can read all about it. And it can make your heart glad. And it can change you as you discover the depth and the breadth of this amazing divine love not just for a special people, but for all people. And when he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. You, my fellow Jews, don't think that there's only a few seats at this amazing table of God, seats meant just for his special chosen people. No, other guests have been invited too. This parable is not about table manners or humility. It's directed against all people of faith who wrongly think they deserve a place of honor at the marriage feast of the Lamb. A never ending banquet that will be hosted by God himself for the least, for the lost, for sinners of every stripe. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you will indeed have a seat at that table. And when that day comes, oh my, just look around. And see all the other folks who are seated there with you. You may be quite surprised. Thanks to the righteousness of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.